It's the Hardcore Marketing Show. I'm Casey Cheshire, your host for this epic journey. And today's show is sponsored by Cheshire Impact on a mission to help you maximize your marketing automation and your CRM. CheshireImpact.com. Bam. And my guest today. My guest today. Yes. Oh, yes. We fist bumped in the air. Bam. (laughs) My guest today. Um, You know that feeling you get, ladies and gents out there, when it's a hard winter and you're coming up on spring and then some groundhog or somebody in Pennsylvania says, nope, not yet. Wait a few more weeks. That's what it's been like. We've had to reschedule this episode many, many times. And I've been looking forward to it so much. Like, please let me put the snowblower away. And finally, that is today. And my guest, amazing founder, CMO of the Marketing Advisory Network, author of this book. I love the title, Unleash Possible. Unleash Possible, a marketing playbook to drive sales. Boo. And that is awesome. And then also, highly sought content marketing speaker just spoke at a content market at the content marketing conference. Ladies and gentlemen, Samantha Stone, welcome. Oh my goodness, it's so great to finally be here. You would yes. think that this wouldn't be so challenging with powder outages and snowstorms. Oh, I know. Uh, I'm grateful we're finally together and really excited to talk today. Totally. And I just I just, you know, reminded myself 5 minutes before we started, we're like right next door almost as as the crow flies. Yeah, so. next time we're doing this in the same room. I'm in the same room. That. You bring your mic, I'll bring exactly. mine. Yeah, I'll bring the coffee. We'll just do this. I love it. Well, let me remind everyone the theme for this month, and and at least the theme for the month when we were supposed to talk. But really, the one of the the key steps in this uh, the CSI, the Cheshire Success Index, this maturity roadmap for how to really maximize marketing automation. We we find a lot of people just blasting emails, batching and blasting, writing content for their own sake that no one wants to read. It's just not working. So we created this little roadmap. And one thing is like, get to know your buyer. The next thing is like, set up your tracking so you know it's working. And eventually we came upon, now it's time to do content marketing and content. And there's a lot of myths out there. There's a lot of bad strategy. Everyone's like, do it this way, do it that way, publish daily. There's all sorts of craziness things out there. Would you like to just, here? here's Thor's hammer. Would you like to just smash <laughs> some myths right at the start here? Yeah, I'm coming off of watching the Avengers movie a couple of days ago. So I completely yes. want to grab that uh, smash, smash away. And this will be a spoiler-free discussion, I promise. Okay. So I, uh, <laughs> I, um, I do. I think there's two myths that are really actually dangerous and counterproductive. Mm. So not only are they not true, yeah. I actually think they force behavior that doesn't align, particularly for people who are selling complex products and services to mostly right. other businesses. But Most of the people listening, right? right. <laughs> uh, so the first one is that humans have a small attention span. And um, I, th- that is just a fundamentally not true statement. If humans didn't have an attention span, we wouldn't watch a movie, we'd never read a book, we wouldn't sit through a keynote presentation, we'd never wait in line to go into our favorite hotspot restaurant, right? Totally. We wouldn't, and we wouldn't go to an Apple store four days before they open to get the first new version of the iPhone or the oh, geez, yeah. tickets, right? It's that people have a t- short attention span when we are not being relevant for them or we yes. interrupt them. Yes. And so because we confuse those two things, people are afraid to create needy, deep content. Mm. Um, And needy, deep content is often what we need to change the way someone thinks about something. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do. Now, that doesn't mean needy, deep content is boring or, you know, has to be a textbook. Right. Um, uh, But it does require that we give ourselves time to tell stories and explain things and teach uh, and we have to do that. So that's you know one of the two biggest myths that I think um, really create a challenge for marketers of all kinds. You know that's a such a cool point because I think I, I get a lot of flack sometimes or a lot of teasing that my attention span, you know, or even marketers ourselves are like squirrels or no the dog that goes like squirrel, you know. Yeah, exactly. Like, hey, let's talk about A B A A B M squirrel. You know, <laughs> we're just all about the next thing and but you know what it. If it's not interesting, 
or, or I, it's almost like to me, that's like my mind is judging to your, what you just said. It's not relevant. This is not going to help me. This is not, this is not written for me. Then I'm out. Like our brains are trained to, you know, we're, we're getting assaulted by a commercial, like, Oh, that's a commercial now, you know, and, and we're getting better and better at ignoring stuff. That's that we know is not for us, not authentic, not any of the things that's going to help us. Yeah, so we do, the part about attention spans that's true is we have a short amount of time to catch your attention and get permission for you to stay engaged with me. I like that. Right? And that is true. However, that doesn't mean everything we create has to be these short, digestible, we can only create a video if it's 30 seconds long. We can only, right, this podcast is proof of that. Yes, yes. This isn't a two-minute discussion. No. (laughs) We've got our water. We're here for the long haul. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. And that's a really important distinction for us to make. And we have to remind ourselves to keep attention throughout. So if we've created, for example, the book that I created, this is yeah. hundreds of pages, right, of content. Yep. And I know a lot of people finish it, probably not everyone, but I know a lot of people do because they tell me about it and they mark it up and I walk into meetings and they've got their yellow oh, tabs throughout, which is like the best feeling. That's, that's an amazing right? compliment. <laughs> they've like yellow stickied and highlighted oh, your book. Yeah, your I mean, child, yes. Right, like the best feeling ever. Oh, cool. But, what that, but if I wrote the book from page one to 200 as if, oh, I got your attention in the introduction, now I can just bleh and spit yeah. it. That would never happen. Um, yeah. It takes thoughtful planning how to keep someone's attention and keep directing and keep intriguing right. someone over time. And that combination of understanding attention and relevance is actually where magical things happen. And by the way, magic can be short form content. I'm not saying it's always deep and meaty, but we have to let the content determine the length, not a false belief that people will only look at things that are short. So true. Yeah. Quality over quantity and catch my interest. And I might just lose myself in a multiple page article that just fascinates me. What kind of techniques did you use in your book or in your content to keep people from looking at that next squirrel or okay, I got the point. I got the point. You know, it's almost like when people drone on and on about, I probably do this all the time. People <laughs> listen to podcasts are like, you do this. Uh, you know, all do. But, it's not, but you're beleaguer, not when you beleaguer the point or is that even a word? When you um, belabor, belabor, I don't yeah. know. Someone tweet me. Um, <laughs> But when, when you keep beating up the same point, like I'm doing to I- explain and demonstrate, people are like, I got it. I got it. Move on. Move on. Or some people are. At least. Yeah. So, well, I think the yeah, biggest we mistake we do is we create a word count goal for ourselves. that says a chapter in a book has to be a f- 2,022 words. I don't know what right. people say, right? It's probably not that. But right. that we create an artificial, instead of saying, let write, talk, yeah, illustrate, and then go, oh, well, it happened to be 402 words or it happened to be 85,000 words, probably not that, right? But right. Um, do the creation and then um, let that dictate. So we have these sort of false um, indicators when we give ourselves word counts or page counts yeah. or things like that, that we've all read books that in the first two chapters are like, oh, man, I am inspired. I am loving this. And then eight more chapters of the same thing. Right. And I was really determined not to do that with my book. And so I really wanted to make sure that each chapter had a logical theory, had a case study that was really specific. And then a bunch of how to steps. Oh, I love that. that. Each one was broken up in a very purposeful way to keep the reader learning and to appeal to different people who learn in different ways. Some people only want the theory. Some people want to skip to that bullet list of what do I do? How, how did you, that's great. I, now see, now not only do I want your book and you need to sign one for me, please. Done. I'll Absolutely. bring one to lunch or something. Um, but I would not only use your book to learn the marketing, but also just learn the idea of the content creation. Where did you, that makes so much sense. Um, case studies for some people, um, the to-dos or the takeaways for other people, maybe a story for, you know, that's really cool. Well, you know, it resonated with me um, outside the business world most. So I've, we've all, t- we talk about this in different ways around story. I have four children hmm. and um, every one of my child children are 
truly independent. I almost wonder how biologically this is possible. Right. They really are these totally four completely unique beings that share DNA and, and not a lot else. Um, either a great parents or terrible parents for that. I'm not sure what that <laughs> is. But what I know is a universal truth, and I watched it as my children went through school. My youngest is 15, so my kids are older. We've been through a whole bunch of things. Right. They all learn very, very differently, and they all communicate very, very differently. And mm. when I started thinking about um, what I was doing as a parent to support yeah. them, all of a sudden it dawned on me one day when I was in a meeting, I'm like, that person's Derek and that person's Nikki and that yeah. person's right. And it's hard. You don't want to label people, but I started to see my children and all of a sudden I changed how I talked, what my body language was, the, the structure of my presentation. Huh. And so if I've got Derek, Nikki, Johnny and Steven in a room and I'm trying to pitch them on our next vacation spot, Wow. I have to say things to them in different ways. Some are going to make a decision immediately. Some are going to go off and think about it, right? And when I started applying that into my business interactions I was having, I realized this is universally true. And if right. we have, now sometimes our audiences are all alike and we don't need to have diversity, but I frankly have yet to meet a business where I that know. is. But what true. a reminder. I, I keep, right. I, maybe I, I assume they're all the same, but you're right. And that's just four different kids, but there's probably 16 yeah. different audience types in there. Wow. And man, how, how do you not go crazy trying to speak to 16 different types when you're presenting? Well, I think two things happens. One is you have to find some things that are sort of universal across everyone. And there right. are some communication techniques about tone and Right. There's some great things that are done sort of analyzing TED Talks that were most successful and most shared. Really? And there some really interesting findings where I'm negative, then I spike up, and then I come down, then I spike up. And I'm going to do a terrible job describing sort of this funnel. There's a, um, a great uh, analysis that someone did about that. But good storytelling that changes yeah. someone's point of view always follow these sort of ebbs and flows no matter learning style. So you incorporate some of that and then you try and understand your audience and you recognize I can't, if I try and appeal to the entire world, which is what a lot of our brands do, That's what you try I, to do. I will be not compelling to anyone. To anyone. Right? Yeah. So pick the things, have some universal things in there, pick the audiences that are most relevant at this moment in time when I'm at content marketing conference. Sure. Um, which I was at yesterday. CMC. Right? Was Got a really it. different experience than I was at the product marketing community conference yes. last week. Really different audience, really Definitely. different perspective. Some of the same content sure. presented in completely different ways. Right. Yeah, I was watching the tweets from the, the CMC yesterday. Um, just right. all over the place. People just tagging you, ad tagging you. Great <laughs> picture. Pictures, you're like superstar. Uh, it but was, it's a really great conference. And, yeah. Um, Where was it? Where was it at? It's in Boston at the Waterfront. Yeah. Okay, okay. Rider uh, Access sponsors it. Byron runs it. He's a conference chair. And it's a ton of fun because you're surrounded by all these super creative content strategists and yeah. writers. And they care about words, right? Yeah. So I have to be crazy more careful at, <laughs> at marketing conference, right? Than maybe what I'm doing at a meetup kind of. Right. Hey, yeah. <laughs> so I'm still me, right? I'm right. Samantha, no matter where I am, like sure. it or not, this is what you get. Right. Um, but it's really a great example of how you need to adapt to um, the venue and the audience you're appealing to. To your audience. You, you know, and one of the things you mentioned around even the book length and um, we've, we have had some stats on, you know, what most blog posts are looking like lengthwise. But to your point, you know, I think about, Harry Potter. And I think about Game of Thrones and Tim Ferriss's book, Tool of Titans, is this like tome, this super thick, yeah. but it is the best. And, and, and I imagine, you know, the publishers are saying, well, you know, most books are X and X in length or, you know, your yeah. package involves this many. We're going to shoot for that many. And it's going to be yeah. this style. And, and, but to your point, you just, just do the craft, write the story, write the information you feel compelled to write. You know, maybe it gets edited a little bit here and there to refine it. Process writer. I believe in editing. I believe in having other people edit you work. You can never edit cool. your work really well. I do believe it's okay to give guidance. Like we want this to be a really short blog post or we want sure. this. To be yep. It's okay to think about the form 
it's yeah. just don't force the content into the form. If it's not working, yeah. change the form. Don't change uh, the content, yeah. change the form. Yeah, that's gross. When you have, you have a paragraph worth of information and you force it into three pages, yeah. a.k.a. college. <laughs> <laughs> we, right? Oh, my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. College is the worst preparation for real life writing on the planet. Yeah, amen. Margins and how many lines and how many words. And I do think there's some universities who are getting better and evolving. Right. But when I was in school, we were literally all about the word count. And it is awful. It's it's um, not effective at convincing yeah. me. So sometimes I needed a lot more words. Sometimes I needed fewer words. Um, and being just as, um, I needed the work yeah. to tell the story. And, and that's really hard. So there's value in guidelines. Nobody's going to give it up completely. Right. Don't force fit it. If it's not working, change your format. 100%. And I think about even, you know, what if my Western Civ professor had said, this can be no longer than two pages. Right. Convince me this argument in two pages. Yeah. Man, you would be, you would have, written for and it, the the real work would be what is key here what do i want to keep yeah. you know that's the that's the fun part and that's also the hard part what is that the mark twain quote of you know i would have written a shorter letter but i didn't have time you yeah. know oh it's, it's so great yeah. Anne Hanley does this right in her book everything right she talks Who about does? Um, Anne hanley and her book oh everything yeah right. i keep hearing her name we keep trying to track her down yeah oh she's amazing she's just um fabulous and she talks about the messy first draft right yeah. i throw it up spit it out and for me um i do write that way i i i vomit all over things and then i cool. come back and i cut um some people like to have a very structured outline something and then come back and start filling in and the same thing doesn't work for everybody so figure out what works for you right but build a process um and the people who build a process and build a review with the actual targeted audience, not only our peers in the company, right? He um, really do produce much more effective content. For sure. And you know, and sometimes the, the challenge I have with content is I, I want it to be perfect or I, I really want to craft the, the perfect sentence or the perfect paragraph and, or the Give it article. Up. <laughs> right. But then, then I, then I just don't do it because I'm like, oh, that's not perfect. I don't have the right graphics or, but to your point, you just, you got to have that messy first draft and, and then come back or have someone who's really detail oriented to help edit with that. Uh, but one thing I was going to say on the short, uh, Dan Sullivan with uh, strategic coach writes a lot of books up in Toronto and they're shorter and he has a goal to write one a year yep. and they're shorter. They're on a particular, not all of them are short, but, but they're a particular topic. And I appreciate that too, because to your point, he's not trying to make, you know, that the standard length book for this quick hit topic. And it also, it's not as, not as scary. I'm looking over here at my, I have a bookshelf right over here and there are these books. And when they're the standard length, you're like, Ooh, value. But you're also like, Ooh, that's a lot. You know, that's, I gotta scary. be committed to get through I, that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but a quick hit. In fact, one of his books, um, he had turned into a cartoon. Um, so it was like, um, page, page, cartoon, cartoon to summarize what you just learned in the pages. And yeah. it's like, yeah, mix up the styles. Don't think it's all about length and, you know, go for the different, you know, whatever your audience would really, you know, consume. Yeah. A hundred percent. And people do different things. So like they, some people consume content visually. Some people consume content right. through auditory means. Some people read text. I, if I listened to a book, like, you know, an audiobook, right. I don't remember anything about it. I, I just, it's the way my brain works. I get too distracted into other things. So I can't listen to audiobooks. I prefer oh, really? to physically read books and yeah. I bend pages and I scribble notes. Yeah. I sit with it and I go back again. And it, it's just the way I learn. There's nothing totally good or bad. It's totally. just what I figured out works best for me. Absolutely. And you know, I do, I like the audible book, especially when there's traffic or commute, yep. you know, um, but I will say, you know, I like to challenge myself and bump up the speed. I think now I'm on one and a half um, after being a 1.25 for a while. But to your point, when I try out two or even a one and a half, if your mind goes somewhere else for even a, like a five second, you, you're, you've missed like half a chapter, you know, I think he keeps going. So yeah, there's, it could be challenging um, to do that. Uh, but I have a, a friend, uh, shout out to, uh, Randy, who's actually blind, but one of the things he, his phone reads him everything on the screen. And because he's not seeing his, his 
audio capabilities have gone gone amazing and he actually listens on like 15 speed i'm making that up it's something crazy like five or ten or fifteen but he he can hear all of it he he comprehends all of it um amazing and you mentioned the learning styles actually had a fun story i wanted to share with you on that western civ uh you know this professor we have and actually i met my wife there too in in western civ and she was sitting in front of me and trying to take notes you know (laughs) and you're just i think you're the one who was like Throwing little paper airplanes. I was kind of like <laughs> passing her notes, being stupid and, and, and learning and taking keynotes. But, you know, this professor would kind of issue four things like, okay, the fall of Rome. Here's the five reasons that it happened. And then there'd be a test later and you'd have to, in sort of essay form, write back to him those reasons. Right. And uh, I found one of the best styles for me in school <laughs> – this is such an I'm like outing myself as a, a last minute person here at least in school but I found that I would show up an hour before the test and I would no one's there and I would go and I had good note, notes thankfully either my own or or someone else who let me borrow <laughs> theirs um, and I'd go to the front of the class and I would teach an imaginary class oh. questions on the test and and I would write on the board the answers as the class would say it so I'd say okay class what are the five reasons for the fall of Rome? Samantha, yeah, um, they consumed more than they made. Great, let's write that down. I write it on the board. So I was, you know, I was conscious of the fact that I was, I was speaking, I was hearing Samantha talk yeah. in, in the class. I was writing and I was teaching, which is ideally one of the better ones. The best, if you teach something, you really learn it. So I was doing all these things and it really worked for me uh, for each and every test, which only just enables you and tells you to keep doing that. <laughs> So, um, but that's okay. that. If that's what worked, totally. I am, you know, and look at this. I'm guessing you didn't take this class last week. It's probably a while ago. So yes. if my assumption sure. is correct, <laughs> you're still thinking about it and talking about it, right? So you may not remember yeah. the five things, but you know, a Rome specifically, if all right, right. Yeah. But, but you remember how that class made you feel. You yes. remember you probably know where to get the answer to that question, yes. right? All of that. They had in, in this one test, and this was kind of like the, the, the tipping point for it. Uh, this one test, oh, the, the professor would come in, he'd see the writing, he'd be like, What is this? And then he'd erase it. And sometimes you could kind of faintly see the, the writing, <laughs> but he would erase it, like, What is this? And he was a Greek guy and he was cool. But uh, so he'd erase it, but it was sort of in there, you know. But one time he was sick and he sent a substitute, and this was a, a Catholic college, so this old nun walks in and and she was really kind of cranky, you know, rough day. And she sits down at the desk. He's like, here are your tests. Pass them out. Don't talk. And, and someone was trying to say, like, um, uh, the answers are on the board. Be quiet. <laughs> Be quiet. So everyone just sat there and took the test with all of the answers, the entire test on the board. And it was, it was crazy. Um, so Professor Clutus, if you hear this, that's why when you came back a week later, you were saying, you know, I'm really proud of you guys. The whole class did really well on this test. And, uh, that's very sure did. Cool. That is, that is a very good story. I love that one. Well, I have another question for you. Tell me about this published daily thing, because, the the question is always okay. Great, good content. How often? How much are we going for SEO? Are we going for the audience? How often do you have to write? You hear weekly. You hear daily, or more than more than once a day. What's your take on that? Is it a myth? What smash it for me? The myth part of it is that you can only be successful with your content if you publish every day or every week or whatever increment that you want. Okay. That is not true. It's 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 proven. I have tons of examples, myself included. I don't publish daily, but for my audience and my business goals and what I'm trying to achieve, that is really okay. It's working beautifully for me. I'm hitting all of my business objectives and building relationships and enjoying what I do. We should publish as frequently as we can do good work. Now, ideally, for most businesses, we're going to be doing something every day. I might be repurposing something. I might be, but if I can't do that for whatever, there's a million reasons why maybe you're not doing that. Totally. Producing daily garbage is is useless. Right. Your audience doesn't keep coming back. So for me, it's it's you want consistency. 
Yeah. And whatever that means for you, maybe that's a monthly article that you just have people drooling over. Maybe it's a mm. newsletter you send once a week. Maybe it's a daily podcast that you produce. What's important is that you're consistent yeah. with when you communicate to your audience and you set that cadence and they expect it and you honor it. Now, you do see some level of volume. If you were to tell me I'm going to write once a year and never do anything else, I, I, I can safely tell you that's a bad strategy. Right? Right. <laughs> but I may write a book only once, right? So I wrote a book. Yeah. Later, I'm still going to conferences and talking about the lessons that are in there. And mm. I'm, I'm hosting a, you know, a podcast series about a lot of the topics yeah. that are in there. And I'm writing LinkedIn posts. So you can create a seminal piece of content that represents big ideas and then use that for an extended duration of time. But don't, don't just say, I'm going to publish today, even though what I have I know is not good. Force yourself to create a consistent cadence of quality content. And if you miss a day, it's okay. Like I give you permission. Samantha Stone yes. gives you permission to skip a day and be okay with the world. Um, and we all do that. Um, but, but be consistent, right, with whatever that cadence is that you create. Right. It sounds like the consistency is a means to the ends. It's not the ends. So if that's your goal, you're, you, you might end up putting out garbage when you, you're not feeling it or you don't have anything. So the goal is what? The goal is providing real value and the means is being consistent about it. That makes a lot of sense. And yeah. understand the world as a context by which you're producing the content. So what, is, what hmm. does your audience need? What is the kind of content I'm sharing? What are the people who I'm competing for attention against? What are they doing? What can yeah. I, how am I going to separate myself from that? And take all of that into account figure out what that schedule and cadence should be, excuse me, and be consistent with it. <coughs> excuse me, I have a little tickle in my throat. So um, that's what's deeply important. And even if you have a cadence, if, you know, life gets in the way, work gets in the way, and it happens all the time, well, that's a problem. Right. But if it happens, you know, occasionally, and, you, you know, you produce something, and I record my daily video for LinkedIn, and I look at it, and I'm like, oh, do you do that? I don't. I choose okay. not to do that, but there are a lot of people who do, right? Oh, yeah. Right? If you're off on that day for whatever reason, and I'm not talking about you got a bad hair day. Who cares about that, right? But if, <laughs> if your content is off. I'm good there. <laughs> you got it nice and simple, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, then you want to make sure to not, not, again, don't force the form do the good work that produces valuable things that people are going to care about and are going to change the way somebody thinks about something or right. have them take an action of some kind. That's cool. That's cool. I like it. I think, um, you know, when you mentioned the, the daily video, I think Dave at, at drift, he's on LinkedIn, just left and right. Just, Hey, what's up guys? Super authentic. And shout out to Dave. Um, yeah, some yep. great stuff. Keenan does some really wonderful oh, yeah. work on sales enablement. And I think he, I don't know that I watch it every day, but I think he does something daily. Yeah. Uh, his con but he's consistent and, yeah. um, and his content is high quality. I don't always agree with his opinion, but I always, he has a meaningful point. He has a story to tell. He structures in a way that makes sense. Right. Uh, so, so it works. But if, if you don't, have that much to say then right. don't don't take that path yeah you know uh, joe uh recently chatted with him he's marketing down in new york city joe applebaum and uh he does this morning thing like 6 a.m on facebook yeah. live he only does it for a few minutes though so he gets on there talks about something is really important to him and he hops off it's kind of like a little morning java yeah. shot but it to your point it's not like a one hour long diatribe he's just you know sharing a thought and and yeah. keeping it consistent but it's but it's still quality and he, he gets off before it gets you know on and on and on yeah. so what tell me about your podcast you, you now i think you you told me yeah. you just finished taping yours right before mine so you're warmed up i am warmed up the vocal <laughs> ready i'm raring to go um it's fun to be the host and then the guest you know it's a it's a yes. very different experience so it was it's fun so yeah so i'm just launching a podcast for the first time and this is my 
um, belief in being uncomfortable and trying new things. Totally. And when I say uncomfortable, I'm super comfortable with the content. I love um, talking with folks, but I've never hosted a podcast before. I've hosted some right. video series. Um, so it's a, di- a new content format, but one I think is really important and I think is giving me an opportunity to communicate in a different way than all the other places that I do. Sure. Um, and of course, it's called Unleash Possible because what else? Because of the book. Right? I, mean, I love that brand, Unleash Possible. Um, and um, I'm really excited about talking to different people about how they're unleashing new possibilities at their organizations, all sales and marketing leaders. I, I love that brand. How did how does that not taken when you wrote that? That is so cool. Right? I actually had the brand bef- long before the book. So when did I you? launched the Marketing Smart. Advisory Network, Unleash Possible was sort of my tagline. Right. Um, and I... Um, I could not believe that UnleashedPossible.com was not taken. Like, seriously, I was in shock. .com was not taken. It was not taken. How is that possible, right? So what I had done is I threw all these words on a board, and I do I did for myself what I do for clients around messaging, and I came up right. with these ideas, and I started plugging URLs in, and half of them were taken, and make, making words. And when this one became available, I'm like, done. I didn't even know what I was doing with it. I was just buying it, right? So I spent totally. $12 on GoDaddy, and I secured the URL, and I said, okay, now what am I going to do with it? Um, but I fell in love. I thought it perfectly described my approach to business and in some ways to life. And right. um, so I used it in my business. And then when I went to write the book, I had a different name for the book. The book was going to be called something different and frankly, something awful. <laughs> no one would have understood until they read the book. Do you so, have like other titles you remember that you were? Oh, it was going to be Catching Turtles. So um, there's a chapter in the book called Catching Turtles. which That's is, a cool chapter name. Right? Yeah. And it was, it's a story, it's relevant, but okay. the problem calling it that for the book was it didn't tell you what the book was about unless you'd read the story already. So, but up until cover design about six weeks before publication, it was going to be called Catching Turtles. And, right. Um, and then I had this moment like, why am I not calling it what it is, which is Unleashed Possible. Right. And, um, and so uh, changed it and I'm very uh, glad that I, I did what I tell people to do and we tested messaging and did all that stuff. And I think that's a much better reflection of um, what the book's about. And- yeah. And you had that brand. I'm not, you don't just want to bury that, you know, in a basket. Like, you have it. So use it. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly. awesome. You know, it reminds me of the little bit of the, uh, the hardcore marketing, you know, spelled, I always, I always say like spelled Marine Corps, not like the earth core, you know, (laughs) um, I'm sure Google will figure that out in Google search (laughs) at some point. So what's your podcast about Unleash Possible? So, yeah. And it's very much like the book where, um, but instead of it just being me, I interview a guest each episode and we talk about a very specific topic and we talk real practical what did you do and what didn't work and what did work? And um, that, you know, again, I don't subscribe to a length. I don't say these have to be 15 minutes long or these are yeah. five minutes long or 30 minutes, but the intention and spirit is they're going to be sort of roughly 15, 20 minutes Got it. of discussion with someone on a topic yeah. um, to, to get some perspective in addition to mine. And I get to talk with these really smart people who, are, um, have different experiences than mine and we get to talk through stuff and I'm, um, I've just been loving so far and, um, interviewed, uh, Brian Cardone from Fuse this morning. Oh, cool. Um, and he was a wonderful guest and we talked in that case all about how to pick target accounts in an ABM model. Um, and we talk about their real world experience. This isn't theory. This is yeah, not the theory stuff. And theory's good. Don't get me wrong. I have economics. <laughs> I like theory. Um, but this podcast is about um, not theory. It's about how an individual or a company did something or or tried and failed and what they learned along the way. That's cool. That's cool. And then you, and your the, the length is based on the, the information you're trying to get across or the story that's being told. That's really cool. Is it out there yet now or because you first just taped? You got to do some post-production yeah, so the probably. the episode and... will be out in a few days. So. Cool. You are in on the ground floor of unveiling. Floor. I'm like Twitter user number 12 now. <laughs> That's right. By the way, I'm like, I'm 14 million, but I, I, it's like a, a moment of pride for me that I was amongst the first 14 million people on Twitter. Right. But, I don't, they did send out that, <laughs> when did they send out, I don't remember what the number was, but I was some number. And at, at the time I'm like, wow, I feel really great. I think I was the first million or something or first 10 million. And I'm like, that's amazing. And then I thought about it. And I thought that's really not amazing. And yet I shared <laughs> that number, like with my 
with something like on my Facebook page. And it's like, I'm thinking, wow, brilliant, brilliant marketing by them. Right. Yeah. Like they get all these people to pay attention to how early did I adopt it? Yeah. And, and kind of do some bragging. Probably a little, not little humble brag, a little hashtag humble brag. Yeah. But they tapped into that emotion of yeah. understanding their audience of you were, and in the big schemes were in the forefront, right? So a million right. or 10 million sounds like a big number, but if you look at what you, it is. Yeah. It's what, like 300, today. 400. I don't know how many hundred million it yeah. is now. So yeah. Kudos to you. That's why I'm talking to you is because you have a lower Twitter number than I do. So <laughs> take me to school today. There you go. So, and, where, where, and, I, and I probably have fewer followers because I'm super focused on my audience and I, and totally. I really do believe that that is important. And um, I want to make sure that I have, you know, engagement with people who are going to find value and yeah. I'm passionate about and not just everything. How many followers do you have? Because I feel the same way that you do about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Awesome. So you've got, you know, like 7,000 followers. I think I have like three and a half or four, but they're all people. They're like real people. Yeah. Um, yeah. I may have not met them all, but I have engaged with the majority of them and I like that. But sometimes you, you bump into the people that are using those auto tools on social and they've got a hundred million followers. Now, if one day I use that, people are going to come back to this episode and be like, see, but, uh, I think those, I've used some of those tools, not the ones that pay for followers and attaches, but I've yeah. used some tools to help like social quants to help me find um, rather cool. than people to connect yeah. with. And yeah. I have found that to be, but I, it's a, it's, I use it in a very manual way to curate audience that makes sense for me. And that will continue yeah. to grow, but I don't give myself an arbitrary goal that says, Oh, 10,000 followers is some magic goal or 2000 or 500,000. Right. Um, I focus on what is my goal for my personal brand and my business right now. And am I achieving those things? And I let that other stuff follow it. Right. Um, and I work with brands who have millions of followers and, and that's, there's nothing wrong with big volume. If that's your business, right. Just do what works for what you're trying to achieve. Right. Totally. So where is there a URL for this or is it the same one that for the book and the podcast, where do if, people go to, if you go to unleashedpossible.com, it will be linked there. It's not right now, but you, it'll be on, um, iTunes and iTunes, all the places. Stitcher. Yeah, I'm working with a great company, um, Sweetfish Media, who Sweetfish, does all yeah. the production, James Carberry and his team, and That's Jonathan cool. Green. They're fantastic. And so I do the really great, fun stuff, which is I get to talk to people and yep. ask questions and, and sort of guide a discussion. And they do all this amazing work that makes it easy for people to access it. That's so cool. I'm super grateful for their production participation. With well, me. Good. It lets you focus on what you want to do and then just. And I'm lousy at that stuff. Look, I, <laughs> I'm not going to pretend, I, you know, I could figure it out. I don't want to figure it out. And there are people who have. And so I love working with them. Right. What's your take on, you know, B2B versus B2C? Um, Sometimes people do draw the line. Sometimes people don't draw the line. I see mistakes when you do both of those things. Um, mm -hmm. The idea of the complex sale. What, what's your take on all of that and, and then how you, mm -hmm. you know, maybe wrap content into that? So I think B2C and B2B are sort of misnomers. They're, huh. they're, they're misleading categories, but they serve some purpose. So they sometimes right. help us and they do have some meetings. So I'm not anti-B2B or anti-B2C, but I think it's an incomplete perspective. What I think is the reality is, do I have an impulsive sale or do I have a complex sale? Mm. I can be a consumer and have a complex sale. So my son, my 17-year-old, bought a car. It was a complex sale because he's 17 years old. He's never bought a car before. So it, the insurance company is involved. It's the insurance. His parents are involved. We help him make that decision, right? The, there, he had to decide what did I want to drive. He, had, he actually, in this case, saved the money. So he was the financial buyer, right? But it still was a complex thing that happened over time and multiple people were right. involved in that process, involved, yep. right? So that's a complex sell that's consumer-driven. At the same time, there are consumer-driven business decisions. Where I get my office supplies is typically an office manager negotiating with someone, um, deciding where we're going to get our pens and papers and our post-its. And they may ask people what they want in the office, but right. most of us don't engage in evaluating our office supplies first, right? So sure. that's much more consumer-like, even right. though I'm... So 
Um, really the distinction is, is this is a complex product where multiple people are involved in a decision over an extended period of time, or is this an impulsive decision where a single person um, is going to decide and they may do some extensive evaluation. Um, so it may not be impulsive like I go buy gum at the grocery store as I'm checking out, but a single person decides, they may decide within a short period of times, hours, days, maybe immediately in some cases. And that is actually the important distinction between the two. Interesting. And I know you didn't mention price. Sometimes that comes in, but there can be really expensive things you buy on an impulse too. You know, I don't, uh, price is often a leading indicator that it's mm. more complex, but, sure. it's, but it's not only, I know many business decisions, like if I, office supplies is actually a great example is some people spend $100,000 a year on office supplies. If I work for a really global entity, but it's, you know, it's fun. Like some people spend a little amount of money, but take, sometimes people negotiate and buy free products and it takes them six months to decide to use <laughs> the free product. Right. Sure. Because yeah. if it requires a process decision change in the company and multiple people have to be on board with a process decision, even if it is something free or it's a hundred bucks a month or 200 bucks a month, it, the financial isn't the factor. It's what has to how much change yeah. in my organization has to happen. That's the factor. So yeah. price can be an indicator of where it more likely is going to fall, but it alone, um, I don't think, tells us if it's going to be a complex sales process or a um, more intuitive one. Right, and you know, it makes sense too. The idea of the the change that may be reflected in the company because there was one um, app exchange vendor who gave us a free version of their app and it let us do some magical things and I'm really appreciative of them, but we, we never quite utilized it as much as we could have because there's a lot of other process changes that had, had to happen and they were still in beta. So it never quite got into our, our track, you know? And so, yeah. And it was free. You're like, here, use this for free. Really appreciated it. Um, that's a good point. The the impulsive sale, the complex sale, multiple people, extended period of time. You know, colleges come into mind uh, with that. I have a son going to RIT, and yeah, it was an exhaustive decision that ultimately he made. But we certainly had to participate in that yes. process, right? In many ways. Yeah, you don't necessarily give kids a blank check for college. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and you know that, you know, that's a huge uh, commitment to them, right? So you yeah. want to help them think through the decision and there's this, what do I want to study? And then there's this sort of what school feels right to me. And right. um, I visited all the campuses that my son considered with him and yep. it really was his decision. He basically said, okay, what I basically said to my kids is we're going to go visit a bunch of things. I, we're both put the list together. We went out. Um, and then I said, okay, what are your top? your top two. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and he applied to probably five or six because yep. we're neurotic. And I was like, you're not applying to enough. Go we did too. <laughs> right? So we did all that. And then they came back with decisions from this top two and, and um, financial did play a part in the decision. Although we are very fortunate to have a, a good income and it didn't have to be our decision. Right. Um, but distance was a decision, how far away he would be or not. Sure. Um, would he need a car if he was further away? Rochester's a good distance. He can you know, still come home further. with a bunch of laundry, but uh, at the same time, you know, it's not every day. So It's not a plane ride, which was certain right. uh, things. It's further than mom would like, frankly. <laughs> I, don't, I don't love, I actually just visited him last weekend and it was, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a long hike. But we knew it was absolutely the right school for him. Sure. So it was a school closer that um, he had gotten into that he liked, but he, he knew, right? But that was, we talked through it. It right. wasn't just a decision that got made. And it, he thought, he was really smart. He thought through a whole bunch of reasons what was going to be the best environment for him. Absolutely. That's great that you think through that with kids who may just want to like pull the trigger. I, I wonder if, you know, it, as mom, you were saying, hey, you know, Merrimack's right down the street. They're a great <laughs> institution. You go there, you know, I can visit you every, you know, day. You to be honest, my son, was the, lunch. my son was the one who wanted to be closer. He was, he was a little okay. nervous about going further away, but I Go knew RIT was the right school for him. So in yeah. fact, as much as I didn't want him to be a far away, I actually pushed him a little bit because I could tell That's it was good. his anxiety holding him back as opposed to it being 
the right place for him. And, you know, he's really happy he made that decision. But in this case, the roles were reversed uh, a little bit. And it was yeah. my job to push him outside his comfort. Right. Um, and know that, you know, look, if you get in and, ha- and after a year, you are you don't like it, or even after the first semester, you haven't found it home, that isn't, is not an unreversible decision. Totally. Right. And we had to be open to understanding what that meant and such. So um, in that case, I had to put aside my desire for my baby to be close and try and help him decide what was best for him. You know, and this whole story that we're telling here is one reason why colleges need to make sure they're not looking at these transactions as like a B2C impulse buy because there's parents with their, what they're looking for. And some are, you know, like you and they're thinking of the child. Some are just like, stay home and stay close. And, you know, there's all different things going on, the anxieties, the desires, the, Hey, this looks cool, or this would be a great school for me. So there's all these things. So it's definitely a complex sale. And it's expensive, and so people don't want to mess it up. To your point, yeah. you can always, you know, I actually changed um, too uh, midway through, but uh, yeah, it didn't work out fine. But, and, but context, good, I, this is a great example. So it's funny you mentioned Merrimack. My 17-year-old is a junior in high school, so we've started to look at schools for him. He's oh, a cool. very different student than my other son, um, very different interest in what he wants to study, and Merrimack was the school that we went to, one of the few we've already been to. And one of the things that really stood out for me is – um, we got, he got a handwritten note after our visit of our tour. We didn't have a one-on-one discussion. It was a group tour yep. um, from someone, right? That was a really purposeful decision they made about their follow-up that is distinctly different than the follow-up we received from other things. And as a parent, I didn't get the handwritten note, but I got a separate follow-up that was different than Derek's and it happened to be oh. around financing, right? So... I, that's cool. Was that was that Merrimack? It was Merrimack and Andover. That's classy. Stay classy, Merrimack. They got the content strategy of this is a complex decision in a complex cell. They knew that there were two different important decision factors, at least if not more. They responded. So their strength is it's for those who don't know, it's a really small school in a suburb of Boston, Um, and they played to that strength with a handwritten note that Mm. was directed at Derek. Um, and they played to me as an influencer in that decision in a different form of communication. So I was immensely impressed with their communication strategy, right? I, I think it's a really good example of someone taking complex sales and understanding it. Now, time will tell if he'll decide to go there, sure. but it's absolutely on a short list. For sure. And sometimes it's those subtle things that can tip yeah. the scales. You don't know where to go sometimes or what to major in, you know, at that point. So the little subtlest little thing might be the thing that, that tips you over the edge. That's cool. That's really cool. So who are you? We've talked a little bit. You're a mom of four. You're speaking at conferences. You've got a book. You're just doing a podcast now. How how did you become you? Who are you? Take Take us back. Yeah. You might regret that. I uh, <laughs> you mentioned that, and I'm okay with. It. I, mean, I got gigabytes of storage here. That's that's cool. Yeah. So I'll give you the short short tale of it. So sure. I I was um, up until four or five years old, didn't talk to anybody who wasn't in my immediate family, and I'm sort of not exaggerating. I was the shyest person on the planet. Wow. And, um, people would come over, and particularly men, for some reason. I never had a tragic incident. There was no reason sure. uh, that that happened. But we would have very good family friends come over, and I would, like, we, we always joke about this one gentleman, Ronnie. Ronnie would come over, and Samantha would go hide in the closet. And he was the wow. nicest man on the planet, and to this day, I adore him, right? Right. But I had this really um, irrational uh, fear and, and lack of confidence, Um but lived in Connecticut. My parents um, hoisted us out of the country and we started, my parents were educators. We moved around and we lived in Greece and we lived in West Africa and we lived in Asia. Somewhere along the line, I stopped being terrified of other people. I can't tell you the moment that that happened. They traveled it out of you. (laughs) (laughs) I think. Um, And I, um, and so I spent my youth uh, traveling. I knew when I wanted to go to college that I would come back to New England. That, that was yeah. as much of a home base as I had. That's where my extended family was from. So I went to a small liberal arts college in Connecticut called Trinity. Um, and they don't have a business degree, which is what I wanted to do. So I studied economics. 
Um, oh. And I also ran the writing, uh, I was, didn't run the writing center, but I was one of the student um, people sure. the writing center. And I, and I loved it and I was super analytical and I loved research and I graduated college and I was going to change the world. Yeah. I was going to be a public policy researcher. There was yeah. a very big problem with that. Public policy research takes years to do and more years to convince anybody to implement. Sure. I'm the most impatient person on the planet. <laughs> Not a good fit. No. Um, so I decided I wanted to move to Boston. Um, I got a job doing door-to-door -door sales and a hotel room. What'd you sell? I sold restaurant coupons. I sold the heck out of restaurant coupons. Hell yeah. I was 100% commission-based. I would be wow. dropped off in a strange neighborhood and I would knock on doors and I would um, either eat McDonald's that night or go to the grocery store, right? right. It was like, depending on what I made. So I did all of that and um, did that for a while. It got me close to Boston, but realized that it was getting cold. It was sort of like fall time. I don't want to be dropped off in a strange neighborhood and knock right. on strangers' doors anymore. I better do something. So I applied to grad school to get a master's, got accepted, called my dad and said, dad, um, here's how much tuition is. And he, he lived in East Africa at the time. And you could literally hear like my house shake with his laughter. Like, really? You're so funny. You're an adult now. I'm not paying for tuition. Um, I paid for undergrad. Good luck, honey. Right. Um, and so I was like, oh, what am I going to do? So I stalled and I said, all right, I'm going to save up enough money to go to Kenya, live with my dad, and then I'm gonna guilt him into paying for grad school. That was my plan. Wow. Uh, but I needed money to fly to Kenya. To get to Kenya, yeah. To Kenya. So I got a job temping, that there were temp agency, because walking door to door, I, I was so done with that. Yeah. So I got this right. job temping. It ended up being for this hot tech company. It was an amazing experience. They ended up offering me a full-time job, and I won't go into like all the gory details, but um, fell in love, started my career, my real career in channel sales. What, um, what company was that? It was PowerSoft, which PowerSoft. Um, if you are my age, you may remember, it was uh, a developer GUI tool. It really, they ended up getting acquired by Sybase, but was wow. run by some amazing people, John Gannon and Dave Litwack, Mitchell Kurtzman. Shout out. Space. Those are names, sort of legends they might know. Legends. You know, my first experience was with this amazing company that was bursting at the seams, and I was there too late to make any money on that ride. Right. But yeah. I loved it, and I fell in love with technology, did channel sales for a long time, and then uh, a few years later complained about marketing, and somebody said, great, here you go, and transitioned into marketing. Well, complaining is a great yeah. way to take on added responsibilities. Oh, you think that should be changed? That should be fixed, huh? <laughs> right. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Reminds me of my grandmother who in the morning would say, you know, what would you like for breakfast? And we'd say, oh, what, what are the options? Well, we've got toast, cereal, this, that. Oh, uh, toast, please. Great. The bread's right over there. <laughs> right. Hey. And, so, and I, I didn't just complain. I also was producing right. things on my own that I needed that I wasn't getting. So people, had, and I do think that's an important part of this, right? It was, I could whine all I wanted. Nobody would care. Right. But I was, I was constructively whining sure. and doing things on the side that demonstrated I had some um, value. And because I hadn't been trained in marketing and because I had a sales background and a background in analytics and economics, I had a different perspective mm -hmm. um, and I transitioned and I learned two things. One is that was my love and that's where I spent the balance of my career. And it was much harder than I thought it was going to be. Right. And, um, and it ended up being the right place. So a lot of happy cool. accidents got me to yeah. my uh, career. And along the way I met my husband and we got married and had a bunch of kids that, you know, I'd love to tell you were perfectly planned out and rational. That's not true. I'd be lying. Um, you don't have like the perfect age gaps between them all. Um, <laughs> you know, that's the thing you try to think about. Right? You know, you're like, yeah. yeah, let me try to coordinate this. And yeah, yeah. No. Bi biology gets in the way of all yeah, of those absolutely. things, right? So, yep. but, um, have a wonderful home here. Have a second home. I was telling you, I just got a lake house. We had a house in the mountain that we sold, and we're now on a lake. And oh, lakes are awesome. I'm super spoiled. I love. I truly love my work. Like I, I, I love my work. I love my balance. I love my business. I love my clients. Not all the time. <laughs> <laughs> not kid ourselves um oh, but, but i do know i'm really lucky i do some incredible things with some in, in, incredible companies and um i feel grateful to be able to do that and i do think that gratitude is why i've been able to run this consulting practice for 
over six years now um, with predictability and consistency and success. What is what do you do in your practice? Okay. So we do all kinds of, so there's sort of three chunks. We do sure. uh, what I call sort of go to market. So yeah. message testing and positioning, win loss analysis, market research, persona development, cool. um, all those kinds of things. Customer voice uh, scenarios. I love that stuff. Testing, yeah. A chunk around content strategy and content development. Okay. Um, and then there's a third of the practices is really more about uh, sales and marketing alignment. So mm. often working with the, with the company to make sure that we're got the right metrics in place. Um, sometimes it'll be around a launch of a new product or service and running that launch on their behalf, or at least coaching through that. Um, and so those, you know, sort of three things and, you know, and I do speak and things, but that's not my job. Right. I do that because I love it and I get to go out there and I hope I have things of value to share. My job is helping be a revenue capitalist for companies. That's what I get paid to love do. Love it. Revenue catalyst. Awesome. Isn't that yeah. fun to say? Like, yeah. You, you, have that, you, have, you don't have that domain, do you? Uh, I had it at one point and did nothing with it. So I actually gave that one up. <laughs> yeah. I've got, I've got revenue optimization. Oh, it's a good nice one. Thing. I like it. Yeah. Just the idea of optimizing that whole process to generate revenue. Um, awesome. Well, this has been really cool. Hey, you have any events coming up that you're speaking at or that you're going to? So I know you just finished one. Yeah. So, so I'm actually. Yeah. No, not not ever. I'm <laughs> going to. I'm really excited. I'm actually going to the American Marketing Association in Virginia and doing a presentation mm -hmm. on artificial intelligence and how that's going to change marketing conversation. Oh, wow. I'm really excited. I'm going to be out at Marketing Profs in November on the West Coast um, doing a workshop on marketing strategy and a session on artificial intelligence, um, which I'm super excited about. I run an account-based marketing meetup here in the Boston area. Oh, um, cool. Is that with, the, the funnel one? Flip yeah, my funnel? Flip My Funnel. Exactly. Oh, you, you run the Flip My Funnel. Yes. Shout out to Flip My Funnel. I guide and facilitate and sure. the, the meetup group runs it, but the reality is I do all the stuff behind the scenes that needs to get That's done. awesome. Yeah, I'm a huge fan. Flip My Funnel is a great crew. They do cool yeah. conferences. Shout out to San Graham and all the folks and Nikki and all. That's, all that's cool. It's going to be fantastic. They're having their national conference in Boston, as you may know. Yeah. I'm going to be part of Family Feud. We've got sales versus marketing. On oh, Facebook. I love it. Hines is running it. I'm super excited. He's our Steve Harvey. Yep. Um, you know, fans. Oh gosh. Dude, so yeah, totally. And folks like Trish Bertuzzi and Katie Martell and Justin Gray are on it. I wonder how much it would have cost to actually get Steve Harvey for that. You know, <laughs> you know I'm just going to say this and I'll be quiet. Um, we once got Pamela Anderson for an event and I promise you it made sense. Um, but I won't bore your audience with the reasons why she was way. I'm less sure they're kind of interested in why. <laughs> She was way less expensive than we thought. Um, yeah. Although, and David Hasselhoff cost more than her, which really surprised me. But um, sure. you never know, right? But I'm thrilled that Matt's going to be doing it because I think it's going to be a lot more fun to have a sales and marketing uh, person lead lead us astray. and, and lead Oh, for sure. And, and he can he can bring up bacon, I'm sure, at the beginning. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. If you got <laughs> to have bacon, right? Yeah. I always think anyone doesn't know. Yeah. Matt, Matt starts his presentations <laughs> off talking about curing his... He cures his own bacon, and he's pretty much a professional at it. Yeah. So uh, he just all he does is he makes people hungry at the <laughs> session. There's so, something to be said about the primal, right? So it's we true. <laughs> commercial connections with our audience—that's primal. Wanting us to, you know, share the bacon with him. I think that's why they always put him before lunch because before yeah, lunch you're like, "Ooh, right. I'm hungry." But after lunch, you're like, "Dude, I just ate." Oh no, I don't have room for that bacon. You know. Right. Oh man! Well, this is cool. So you got all those places. Where can people connect with you? What are some good links and good? By the way, we're gonna we're gonna have to come back and, and chat again. We're gonna we're gonna focus on AI in a couple months, and it you know we could squeeze that topic in now, but we would be it'd be like nine p.m. and people would be like, wait a minute, you mentioned long form, but dang, guys, <laughs> we're still going, we're still going yeah, nine hours I later. I would welcome the chance to do that. I have some really um, interesting thoughts and ideas and things uh, that I've been yeah. exploring there. So um, I, I look forward to having that discussion. And we will plan that. that like months in advance. We'll just, we'll it. just, we'll block that on the counter, but yeah. Uh, but but you can find me in yeah. places. You can find me at Twitter at at Samantha stone. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, Unleashpossible.com will take you to um, the site about the book, but there's a link to my blog and to marketing advisory network where you can find a bunch of resources and templates and documents 
email me, samantha.stone at marketingadvisorynetwork.com. And I know that is a mouthful. Throwing out the email on a podcast. I know. You're so like, brave. Oh, you are so crazy. I, I don't, yeah. I, I'm, I'm Why not? happy to, you know what? Contact me, ask questions, give me feedback. I really sincerely do my very best to respond to everyone. Um, if you don't get a response from me, assume it got stuck in some filter and send it again yeah. or call me or do something else because I really, um, I value talking to people I've never met before. I find incredible, um, I'm interested in it and what their businesses are doing and um, it's a ton of fun. So absolutely, find me wherever those places are and uh, and hopefully some of your audience will be at one of the conferences and we get a chance to meet. For first. sure. And, and, and bring your book with all the yellow stickies and the highlight. Yeah, that's and, right. And, and a Sharpie so she can sign the cover. Yeah. And uh, that is awesome. Well, thank you so much. This has been a blast. I don't know if you noticed, but like an hour, hour and change, just bam, just like that. Yeah. Um, you're having fun. It doesn't even feel like you're you're doing it. You know. Yeah. This was fabulous. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure talking to you. Absolutely. And for everyone out there, thank you for joining. If you learned something, and you should have from this, because I did. I got a whole couple pages on my yellow notepad here filled and i tweeted it before earlier and i'll tweet the after uh but all these pages filled if, if you learn something here share this episode with someone else you know um someone who might be under the gun to do content daily and they they sort of need that answer that we just talked about mm -hmm. so share this with someone else and uh we'll catch you all later this has been the hardcore marketing show we'll see you next time